Welcome to Revive Families Connecting Hearts with researcher, author, speaker, and coach Jeff Schott. Jeff is devoted to keeping the hearts of parents and kids connected. He developed Influential Parenting, a comprehensive program designed to help parents target the root of behavior issues rather than whacking away at the surface. Jeff also wrote the book Going, Going, Gone, which helps parents understand the reasons kids depart the faith. It gives parents the information they need to open conversations with their kids to prevent this outcome. Learn more about Revive Family, its resources and coaching for families at revivefamily.com. Welcome back to Revive Families Connecting Hearts. I'm Jeff Schott, the founder of Revive Family, and we're continuing in our series, Discovering Our Patients. I know over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about dealing with our triggers and even rounding out our personality type. And I can't understate how important these things are for you to consider and to tackle because they bring freedom to our lives where we're not having to be self-controlling and self-disciplined all the time, which really is exhausting. So if you missed those two programs, go to revivefamily.com forward slash podcast, revivefamily.com forward slash podcast, and listen to them. Save them as a favorite and come back to them from time to time to encourage yourself in this longer-term journey. But I also know you may be saying, but Jeff, what do I do today? What can I do tomorrow while I work on these longer-term things? And that's what we're talking about in this program. We're talking about empowering our patients today. And I really did find this article, 10 Tips for Becoming a More Patient Parent, really helpful as I was preparing for this podcast. So you may want to go refer to that. In that article, they had a number of tips that we can begin to implement today, tomorrow, in our homes with our kids. And I've taken some of these along with some of our own research and experience and kind of melded them into a list of things that we can tackle now while we work on the longer-term projects of deprogramming our emotional triggers and adjusting the rougher edges of our personality type. One of the tips in the article was take a mommy time out. The article defines as taking a break isn't just for children who need a little time to cool down and regroup. They're for parents too. Revive families really changed this whole concept of timeouts and how they're used. In our influential parenting program, we look at it from a completely different perspective. I see timeouts as a positive, proactive thing, not something we send our kids to in a corner when they're misbehaving. Timeouts are a way to protect ourselves and our kids from unintentional harm. We recommend all families sit down and talk about implementing a timeout strategy. And the timeout can be triggered by saying or calling timeout, by a hand gesture, or some other word like easy button. Some families that have been through our influential parenting program even adopt humorous phrases to use to call a timeout. These timeouts are a proactive thing, and they can be called by us as a parent or our kids. And they're truly a way to honor and protect each other. So when someone begins to feel frustrated, threatened, hurt, or they're sensing they might be triggered, they call timeout. This can be our kid calling a timeout because they're about to lose it. It can be because they're sensing frustration or an approach that we're taking that's hurting them or vice versa. We're sensing something going on with the kid where we sense an explosion. And so we use this timeout phrase or gesture to end the interaction at that point in time before damage is done. The agreement put in place 
prior to implementing the timeout strategy is that we'll take a break, 30 minutes, an hour, and we'll come back to it and we'll continue the conversation after stopping and reflecting how were we feeling, what was going on, what's the best way to handle this conversation strategically like the good shepherd would, what are some questions we can ask to understand the other person and what's going on with them so that we learn to communicate in a positive way around touchy topics. When we simply charge forwards with the topic, even in spite of rising emotions, we're setting ourselves up for failure and we're setting ourselves up for hurt and pain and distance to creep into the relationships. So taking this time out and giving our kids permission to call time out in a proactive way is absolutely essential because it allows us to stop, reflect, process, learn, come back and have a better communication. And in this, we're learning patience. In this, we're learning restraint. In this, we're learning to rely on God and we're breaking our old damaging communication habits. So what do you do when a timeout's called? The conversation ends and commitment we have to each other is to go take some time to reflect and process. And during that time, I recommend that everybody steps back and asks themselves a couple of key questions. Why was I becoming frustrated, upset, hurt, or fearful? What feelings arose within me and where were they coming from, this specific interaction or emotional triggers from my past? And how can I share these feelings in a non-threatening, non-attacking way when we come back into the conversation? I've found when I help families and couples learn to understand their feelings and share those feelings with each other, light bulbs come on that literally destroy the assumptions of how we see each other and bring about better understanding, more compassion, and closer relationships. You struggle identifying the feelings that lie underneath frustration, anger, pain, hurt, or fear then I'd recommend you use our Contact Us form at our site, revivefamily.com, and say, Emotions Chart, and I'll send it to you. And each family member should have a printout that they can take back, sit down, look through, and identify the feelings they're experiencing that led to calling the timeout in the first place. And then the last step would be, what questions can I ask the other people in this interaction that we called timeout on to understand their feelings and perspectives? So write down some questions before you get back together that seek to understand the other person's feelings and perspective. It will radically change the way you resolve conflicts in your home. Another tip that the article had was spend one-on-one -on -one time with each child every day. The article said this, spending 10 minutes with each of your children every day will help you stay connected to each other and feeds your child's sense of belonging and significance. And that is something that I radically changed as I did the research with my kids. As my focus went from expectations and performance and behavior to relationship, I realized I needed to be spending far more time with my kids. And I found this type of time has so many benefits, not just for the relationship, but also for our patients for one another. I found that when children feel they're getting our attention, they don't need to compete with each other as much for our attention, which can lead to squabbles that weigh on our patients. So when we're investing this time with our kids, we're really putting relational deposits into their emotional piggy banks, and that leaves them more secure, and that can lead to better relationships between your kids. I've also found such focused time where we're seeking to do 
fun things with them is when our kids tend to open up to us. And then when they open up, we hear them and we come to understand them more, which helps us believe in them more, trust them more, which can totally change the dynamic of the relationship. I've also found that these deposits in the bank mean when we need to lean on the deposits that we've made, we can. If we don't have time to really dig into something and go deep to find the root of an issue in our kids' lives, if the relationship's going well, we can ask them oftentimes just to go with the flow, to trust us, and they will, as opposed to pushing back like many parents encounter today with their kids and adolescents. This time also draws our kids closer to us, and when they're feeling closer to us and more loved and accepted and special, I found they listen to us far more. They help us more out of a desire to help us and please us and love us, not out of a sense of expectation and obligation that often gets the groans, the moans, the delays, or the pushback. So I would agree, spending time with your kids individually each day can really help us help them and help each other understand each other, have better relationships, and that will result in more patience for each other. Another thing I've seen work in my home and was mentioned in this article is change your voice. What does that mean? It means literally changing your voice. There are times when my kids got in conflicts with each other where I'd walk into the room and whisper or say nothing at all. And just by standing there silently, they got silent quickly. Or if I whispered, they quieted down quickly to listen to what I was saying. Sometimes, parents, we get into a routine of handling everything the same way. And there's nothing more likely to cause our kids to tune us out and not register what we're saying and approaching things in a lecturing, frustrated tone over and over again. They'll tune us out really quickly. So when an issue breaks out or something isn't going the way you want it to go, step back and think creatively. Have fun with it. How can I go into this situation and totally throw my kids a loop? Really can have more fun as an influential parent. The next tip with the article was stated this way, live in the child ego state more often. And they talk about percentages of time where most adults are operating 80-90% in an adult ego state versus a child ego state where our kids are 100% in a child ego state all the time. And they're saying, try and get your percentage to 30% of the time where you're in a more fun, joking around, goofing around mood where you're having fun with kids like you used to be able to have fun when you were a child. And I don't call this a child ego state. What I call it is the inner child. That fun, playful, joyous side that is in there, but we really have to work to access it as parents when we're busy, when we're dealing with pressure and responsibility. And with everything that's going on around the country today and all the concerns that raises, it's really easy to get locked into an adult mindset that can consume us. We can worry. We can live in fear. And that's not what God desires, is it? Right now, more than ever, we need to step back, step out of the seriousness, and step into trusting God that he's got us and allow ourselves to be a child of God and play like a child and have fun like a child with our kids. This is so important with the COVID-19 going on because fear is proven in psychological research to be transmitted to our kids even when we're doing a great job of trying to cover it up. Another tip from the article is adjust our busy schedules. 
which maybe COVID-19 is doing for us right now. And if it is, the question is, how are we using the extra time? Are we building relationship, opening up deeper communication, and having fun with our kids, or simply distracting ourselves on our phones? This adjust your busy schedule and taking time to yourself is so important as a parent, especially for moms. When I did the research for the Mama Bear series I did a couple months ago, it was glaring how many hours a week moms put in, the equivalent of two and a half full-time jobs. And it's no wonder they're tired. It's no wonder they're maybe on edge. And this doesn't help our patients at all. So dads, this is where we need to step in and help our moms get breaks, and we need to make sure that we're doing our own self-care things so that we're not on edge, that we're not exhausted, and maybe this means cutting out some of the activities. Maybe this means changing our schedules radically, prioritizing time with our kids like I did after doing the research. All of these things are really important if we want to increase our patience today, which is what we're talking about, empowering our patients today. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes to continue talking about strategies we can take now that will impact our patients in the way we respond to our kids rather than react to our kids. Often I'm asked, why does Revive Family provide its resources for free? Revive Family is a nonprofit, and we don't want money to get in the way of parents, families, or kids seeking assistance. Jesus didn't charge for his teaching and healing, and so neither do we. Rather, we choose to walk by faith, believing that those who benefit from the resources and are able to will make donations to pay it forwards, helping us continue to serve as many families as possible. I say thank you to those of you who have made one-time contributions or have become monthly supporters of Revive Family. You make all we do to help parents and kids possible. Thank you. Welcome back to Revive Family's Connecting Hearts. I'm Jeff Schott, and we're continuing in this series, Discovering Our Patients, specifically today, talking about how do we empower patients today while we tackle some of the longer-term things like our emotional triggers and adjusting the rough edges of our personality types. In the first segment of the program, we talked about taking timeouts, and we talked about a different perspective that Revive Family and our influential parenting program has about proactive timeouts as opposed to reactive timeouts. We also talked about the importance of getting away and taking breaks, especially for moms who are incredibly busy. Then we covered the importance of spending focused time with each child each day and all the benefits that that can have related to the relationship as well as our patients. There was also discussion about how we can change our voice, and I want to come back to that topic in this second segment and talk a little bit more about our voice and how important it is related to our kids, their perceptions of us, and how they respond or react to us. In the first segment, we talked about the fact that the way we handle our voice in these times where we might be on the edge of losing our patients can make a huge difference. And we mentioned how going at things the same way over and over again is conditioning our kids almost not to listen to us, especially if we're coming in consistently a bit frustrated, a bit harsh, a bit directive, or a bit lecturing. Those things kids learn to tune out very quickly because they bother them. They don't make them feel accepted, loved, listened to, or understood. So when we think about our voice, we need to think about not just the voice, the volume, or the pitch. We need to consider the intonation as well. 
oftentimes just the tone of voice can cause our kids to become defensive because they know that we're already unhappy with them. And then if they get defensive, of course, that's going to play into our ability to maintain our patience. But when we think about our voice, we also need to think about our body language because they say the nonverbal communication can be as much as 80, 90% of our communication. So if we come in quickly, if we come in with an intense or strong body posture, our kids will pick up on that and it'll automatically move them towards being defensive. And while I know it's not fun, sometimes we need to stop when we're getting frustrated, we're communicating in a frustrated way, and we need to go look at ourselves in a mirror. Because I've found many times when I'm working with families, parents don't recognize how their nonverbal is coming across and how quickly that's triggering their kids. And so getting them to see it, whether it's through a video or it's through looking in the mirror, can really, wow, they go, holy cow, I had no idea I was looking or coming across that way nonverbally. And then they start to understand, wow, maybe this is why my kids are reacting defensive. They're not opening up to me. They're lying to me. They're hiding things from me because they see this so much and it bothers them and it pushes them away so much they want to avoid it. So they, they start doing things like lying to avoid these negative interactions with us. So when we think about our voice, we need to think about just not the volume of our voice or the pitch or the intonation, but we also need to think about our body language. And I've had so much fun messing with this at times where my kids have been caught in a line as opposed to getting frustrated and pushing on them. I'll go, hey, Pinocchio, how's it going today? How many inches did your nose just grow? And I normally get a smile or a laugh out of that. And so there's many different ways to approach problems, but it means we've got to learn to be emotionally mature with our own responses, which is why we talked about those triggers, why we talked about the edges of our personality types and what we can do to begin to adjust those things so that we can have fun in the parenting process, even when it comes to discipline. Because I've found that discipline can lead to some of the best, deepest, most positive interactions where we end up feeling closer to each other because we're not punishing with discipline, we're teaching and training, which is the true definition of it back in the Old Testament biblical times. It was teaching, training, upbringing. It didn't mean punishment in those days. So when you think about the different things that are going on with your kids, the things that frustrate you, start making some plans even today about different voices you can use, different strategies you can use. Mix it up. Keep them off guard. Keep them off balance. It will be a lot more fun for you. And trust me, it'll work a lot better with them. And they'll draw closer to you if you change your approach. I'll never forget the time my kids were yelling and screaming at each other upstairs. And I was preparing for my very first sermon. And when I went up, there was water and soap everywhere. And I didn't say a word to them. I came in and cleaned up the water, the soap. I hung up the towels, turned around, walked out. And my daughter, who could never admit she was wrong when she was seven, eight, nine, and we'd have to argue with her for hours, followed me down the stairs as I was getting ready to start practicing for the sermon again and said, Dad, I think I set a bad example for Paul. I went in there and didn't say a word, and they quickly became silent and just watched me clean it all up, and that gave them time to process and the Holy Spirit time to work in their hearts, and all of a sudden, my oldest one followed me down, they can't admit she's wrong, and says something that just blew me away. It caused me to have to rewrite the opening to my sermon because that story was just so apropos for what I was talking about the next day. 
And in some ways, this ties to the other topic we talked about right at the end before the break in the first segment of the program, and that was living more like a child, living in that playful, joyful, um, humorous, uh, relaxed, peaceful place that kids tend to live in way more than we do as adults. Finding this place in the midst of trials or challenges or consistent issues with a child in one area can be really strategic. We don't have to take the failure of our kids so seriously. It's going to happen. We're imperfect this side of heaven. So why do we expect our kids to be perfect? Why do we expect them to do well and behave well all the time? Rather, we need to change our mindset and go, wow, they're going to fail. So how am I going to have some fun with this? And how are we going to learn and teach through this? Because we've found that punishment and consequences isn't causing them to learn. They get focused on the punishment and the consequence and the frustration and hurt with us, and they're not really learning. So this whole child state can be really fun to play with when it comes to discipline, like the whole Pinocchio comment that I made earlier. I've used that on and off with my kids for many years, and I found that when we adjust our view of our kids' bad behavior, it really helps with our patients. If we expect them to fail, if we're not upset or hurt by their failure, and we don't allow it to reflect on us personally, which we shouldn't, we can have a lot of fun with it. And this is where I try and take on the perspective that I see Jesus having. With all the people that were struggling, failing, and hurting around him, I don't see him getting harsh with the woman at the well, or getting negative or lecturing the rich young ruler. I don't see a lot of that type of negative view of failure or of sin in Jesus. What I see him doing is drawing closer to the people that are struggling, reaching out to them with sensitivity and care, even protecting them from the consequence in the case of the adulterous woman. So in these situations with our kids, if we can begin to adopt Jesus's mindset and say, wow, when my kid fails, it's time to draw close to him. It's time to put my arm around him and say, hey, how are you feeling about this? How are you really doing? Would you like my help? One of my favorite things to do with my kids is to kind of laugh and go, wow, how did you get yourself into the middle of this one. And they're like, I have no clue. And I'm like, well, let's sit down and talk about it. How are you feeling before this happened? Did something trigger before this that caused you to react this way or caused you to make this decision that's not consistent with who you are or where you're going in life? These types of more humorous, lighthearted approaches are really helpful. And if you want to go watch a movie and try and get the mindset I'm talking about for handling failure with your kids, go watch Chris Pratt in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie when he's going to break in and get that first Infinity Stone. And he's dancing and he's singing while these animals are trying to attack him and knocking him out of the way. And we all love that scene. And I see parenting, dealing with kids' problems, and those things coming at us like that as being so much more powerful in our kids' lives and for the relationship we have with our kids. So, so much of patience comes down to our perspective, how we view failure. And so stop and consider, how do I view failure? How do I view my kids' failure?
If we view failure as negative and we allow it to weigh on us and we beat ourselves up a lot when we fail, we'll tend to be hard on those around us and on our kids when they fail. If we've learned to accept God's grace, forgiveness for past, present, and future sins, and we can be joyful in the midst of a failure and turn to God and learn from it and reflect upon it and see growth and change happen in our hearts, we're going to find it easier to take that type of approach with our kids. So how are you viewing yourself? How are you handling your own failures? Sometimes we've got to stop and address that and our perspective of failure before we're going to be able to really change the way we interact with our kids around their failures. Before we're going to have that amazing patience of God, that joyful spirit that drew people to him, even though they knew he stood for right and truth and everything else and was perfect, that didn't cause them to want to avoid him because they never sensed they were going to get condemned or judged or he was going to be frustrated or angry at them. In fact, he wanted to be there to help them. And that's what we need to be for our kids when they're struggling, when they fail. This will help with patience immensely. So there are many things we can do to empower our patients today. And that's what this program has been all about. But if you haven't heard the entire series, please go back and listen to session one because it was vital and it really helps us realize that patience or impatience is really on our side of the ledger. The second program dealt with our emotional triggers and how they override our best desires, our intentions, and our self-control, and what we can do to see healing deep within, to see those things erased. And then the next program was on a personality type and how it plays into patients and what we can do to actually see our personality types change. So if you didn't hear the rest of this series, I highly recommend go back, go to revivefamily.com forward slash podcast. Take the time to realize that we really can see victory over patients and we can have better relationships with our kids that lead to them making better decisions and having better behavior because of the way we're interacting with them. Thanks for joining me. I'm Jeff Schott with Revive Families Connecting Hearts. Have a great week. That's it for this edition of Revive Families Connecting Hearts with Jeff Schott. We'll return again soon with another program designed to help you become a wiser, more effective, more influential parent. Jeff's website is revivefamily.com. Revive Families Connecting Hearts is produced in association with Faith Radio. Jeff Schott is a pastoral counselor and coach. He is not a licensed healthcare professional. What you've heard is not a substitute for seeking professional, medical, or psychological support. 